Amen. What a powerful song, choir. Thank you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, for your work among us. John, thank you. I think John's fairly new to the choir. Thanks for leading. It's first time to lead and to, to offer, yeah, a beautiful voice. And thank you for leading us as well. Yeah. And I, I wanted to, to, if you made the concert last uh, Sunday night, we had a wonderful time with David Phelps, and it was a powerful time of worship, and we had so many from the surrounding area. We, we had folks from uh, uh, Colorado, to New Mexico, Texas, Kansas came, and, and the choir, y'all did a fantastic job of supporting and, and backing them up and singing with them. And Chad, you were, we didn't see you all night. <laughs> there was a screen right here, and Chad was behind the screen all night. And uh, the one thing that David should have done that he didn't do was to say thank you to Chad. And Chad, we appreciate your hard work and your leadership with the choir. And so I want to say thank you for, for that last week. That was a lot of hard work. And, and, then, uh, and then next Sunday, uh, I already saw Janice, and, and I didn't see Don this morning, but Janice Masters. Uh, uh, Denise will be back in town with her friends called Point of Grace. And uh, as you know, Denise grew up in our church. And it's exciting to have her back. Our orchestra and choir are going to partner with them next week as, as we celebrate Palm Sunday and have a, a morning filled with worship. And, uh, and that's code for the preachers not preaching next Sunday. Uh, and so it'll be a glorious day to lift our voices and to celebrate the entrance, the coming of Christ, and to prepare ourselves for, for the difficult and coming days of Holy Week as we prepare for Easter Sunday in just two weeks, uh, we continue with the servant song, the suffering servant song of Isaiah 53. And today I want to begin with this thought. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 7, the scripture tells us that there is a time to speak. We know those times, and it's time to stand. There's a time to stand up for yourself. There's, there's a time to, to, to tell the truth. There's a time to, to speak out against injustice. There's a time to, to enter into conversation and engage with each other. But the writer of Ecclesiastes also reminds us that there is also a time to be quiet, a time to be silent. And it's that idea, that thought that I want us to, to focus on today as we consider the suffering servant. In Exodus chapter 14, there's the story of the Israelites. They've left out of Egypt and, and they've found themselves pinned against the, the Red Sea. And Pharaoh and the chariots are, are approaching upon them very quickly. And they know that the end cannot be good. And so they start whining and they start uh, calling out to Moses, Moses, why did you bring us out here to die? Were there not enough graves back in Egypt? And now here we are. The enemy of Pharaoh's army about to be slaughtered and die here in this barren place. And Moses comes to the people and he says, be quiet, be silent, and allow God to fight for you. Quit your whining and your belly aching and be quiet and watch what God will do. 
In the New Testament, we have this powerful story of Jesus and and how one day they had arranged a plot and and they brought this woman that was caught in adultery to Jesus and they brought her before Jesus and they demanded that Jesus pronounce condemnation and they demanded that Jesus offer the death penalty to see her stoned to death. You can imagine the, the emotions that Jesus was going through And before he said a word, in silence, in anger, in silence, he knelt down and began to doodle in the dirt. And he arose and he said, whoever's without sin, you may cast the first stone. And and then again, in silence, he knelt back down and in quiet, messing in the dirt. And when he stood up, it was he and this woman who'd been accused. And Jesus said, where are those who've accused you? I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. In the silence of that moment, Jesus came up with the right words as he worked his way through the emotion of that moment. It's interesting that as we turn to Isaiah 53, verse 7 through 9, the importance of silence that comes over the servant as he is in the midst of his suffering. And we're looking at verses 7 through 9 this morning. He, this servant, was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that was led to slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so he, this servant, did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off and out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due, his grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death, Because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. As we continue after verse 6, and last week we we looked in verses 5 and 6 how this servant was, was scourged, he was crushed, he was pierced, he was chastened. And now as we pick up the story, we see that this one who bore our griefs the one who bore our sicknesses and our sorrows, the one who took on our guilt, our iniquity, the one who was oppressed by those who came against him unjustly and who tried him and mocked him and condemned him to die even as an innocent man. This one who was afflicted. This one, this word afflictive is passive. It it, it shows us that the servant was passive in this affliction. He allowed this affliction and this pain to happen and to, to occur upon himself. You see, this servant humbled himself and he willingly accepted and took on this suffering for you and for me. It is this servant who was oppressed It was this servant who was afflicted. It was this servant who said nothing, who was quiet as a sheep before the shearer. Now, sheep are not the smartest creatures in the world. 
In fact, some have described them as maybe the dumbest. But they know when to be quiet. Have any of you men ever had a, a, a shave, had your face shaved, your, your neck shaved with a straight razor? When that razor is placed to your cheek or to your neck, it's not a time to be loud. <laughs> it's not a time to celebrate. <laughs> it's time to be what? It's time to be quiet. <laughs> it's time to be still. And here we see this servant like a sheep who, who knows instinctively that when the, the shear brings out the shears and, and prepares the sheep to be shorn, that it's time to be quiet and still. You see, sheep instinctively know to be quiet before the shear. And in a way that people of a shepherding culture would understand, the servant would remain silent as he was afflicted and crushed and stripped of his dignity, of his clothing, of his humanity. Matthew 27, verses 12 through 13, describe this being fulfilled in the life of Jesus. The Scripture says, He, Jesus, while He was being accused by the chief priests and elders, He did not answer. Then Pilate said to Him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? And He did not answer Him. Not even a single charge. And the governor and Pilate was amazed, amazed at Jesus's silence. So I'd like to take just a minute to consider why was it that Jesus stood silently? Why was he able in that moment to stand quietly, to not utter a word in that particular moment? Well, I think, first of all, we need to understand that Jesus stood innocently. You see, people do not typically suffer in silence, especially when they're innocent. But Jesus' suffering in silence was more than just gritting his teeth and taking his medicine. You see, I believe that Jesus demonstrated an inner peace in this moment. He knew that he was innocent of the slander and of the lies spoken against him. He knew that in the inflammatory and accusatory situation and context that he was in, that no words would matter. He knew that he need not defend himself in that moment, for he was innocent before the Father. You see, there is a time to defend with words. There, there is certainly a time to stand up for those who are oppressed with words. But here in this moment, Jesus understood that it was time to stand quietly before his accusers. Secondly, I think that Jesus stood silently because he stood willingly and obediently. You see, Jesus willingly took on the sin and the suffering of others. He gave his life, the scripture reminds us, over and over again. It was not taken from him. In John 12, 27, right at the beginning of, of this Holy Week experience, Jesus said that his soul had become troubled. 
And after he was describing how troubled his soul was, he said this, So then what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? And Jesus answered his own question. Well, well, no. But for this purpose, I came. Jesus stood quietly because he knew that that was the purpose that he came for. A few days later in the Garden of, of, of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed, Not my will, but yours be done. And then in the moments that followed that prayer, Judas arrived with Roman soldiers to betray Jesus to arrest him and to begin the series of events that led to his crucifixion. Jesus gave himself over obediently and willingly to Judas and to the soldiers. In Philippians 2, Paul shares this beautiful hymn of the early church and says that Jesus was obedient to the Father even to the point of death even death on the cross. You see, Jesus stood silently because He stood willingly and obediently before the Father. Thirdly, Jesus stood silently because He stood guilty. Now, follow me here because there's something deeper going on, something else. So although on one hand He was innocent, Jesus was guilty in the sense that He was taking on the sin of others. Jesus stood guilty in their place. Jesus stood guilty in my place and in your place. He knew the price of justice and he knew what the cost was to restore rightness between man and between God. So he bore the shame and he bore the sorrow and he bore the, the pain without excuse and in silence. There was no self-pity. There was no need to accuse others. He did not reflect or deflect the wickedness of the moment, but rather He bore and He absorbed the sin and evil that was being thrown upon Him. And then He died in their place. You see, Jesus stood guilty so that you and I can stand innocently. Lastly, this idea that Jesus stood silently because He stood silently to speak loudly. The Lamb of God. The Lamb of God stood silently, but oh, in that moment, the Word of God spoke loudly and spoke clearly. For you see, Jesus' silence was deafening. He could have called, the Scripture says, 12 legions of angels to come in His righteous anger, but instead, He remained quiet. He bit His tongue. And when it was time, when it was time on the cross, His silence up to that time, I believe, enabled Him to speak powerfully and purposefully the love of God, not the righteous anger of God. On the cross, Jesus, being silent, experiencing that, absorbing all of the evil and wicked that He did, on the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. 
on the cross. Jesus certainly cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But as we've talked about several times, that was certainly the, the, the expression, the emotion of the moment. But that's a beautiful Psalm 22 that also reflects on the faithfulness of God. The presence of God, even while we feel forsaken. Out of the silence, Jesus spoke those words. He spoke words of having completed and finished his job. It is finished. The mission has been paid in full. And in the silence of those last moments of his life, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus stood silently so that he might speak loudly on the cross and into our lives. But I want us to look at these last, this last verse, this verse 9, as it ties into this in an important way. And so I want to begin by asking the question, do you know any good riddles? I don't know if it's good, but let's try. What is this? What am I? You throw away the outside and you cook the inside. You eat the outside and then you throw away the inside. Corn, thank you. <laughs> Wonderful. How about this one? What is greater than God? More evil than the devil? The poor have it. The rich need it. And if you eat it, you will die. Any thoughts? I'll read it again. What is greater than God? More evil than the devil. The poor have it. The rich need it. And if you eat it, you will die. Nothing. Very good. And finally, what is so fragile? What is so fragile that when you say its name, you break it? The silence. Yeah. I think verse 9 is kind of a a riddle for us, a riddle for the servant. It says, his grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death. Now, now there was some early interpretation that would suggest that, well, rich is evil, rich is wicked, and, and I, don't, I, don't, I don't follow that interpretation. So I think there's a contrast that's being played here between the wicked and between the rich. And so let's dive into this riddle and see if we can understand it. You see, Jesus was crucified next to two thieves, next to two revolutionaries is a better translation. Now we remember that crucifixions were done in, in high traffic places. They were done as a public spectacle, as a warning against those who would stand up or rise up against Rome. And crucified bodies were left on their crosses for days and weeks. Allowing birds, allowing the animals to come along and to pick at them and to devour them. For you see, in the ancient world, to expose someone's dead body and to refuse to bury it was the ultimate act of dishonoring that person. You see, this was most likely the fate intended for Jesus. A grave between two sinners. A grave between two revolutionaries. Left to rot in shame and dishonor. 
See, his grave was assigned. His death was assigned with the wicked. Yet Isaiah continues with a big yet, with a big but. He was with a rich man in his death. You see, this fate, this, this being left on a cross to be devoured by the birds and the animals was not the fate that happened to Jesus, to this servant. Something incredible happened. Something totally unexpected happened. Instead, instead, out of the darkness of that moment, two disciples of Jesus, Joseph of Arimathea, a secret disciple. A secret disciple because he was afraid of the Jews. He went to Pilate and he boldly asked for the body of Jesus. Joseph wanted to use his personal tomb so that he might honor the body of Jesus with a proper burial. And the second disciple was named Nicodemus. Nicodemus, who in the early chapters of John came to Jesus to talk and the Scripture says He came in the darkness in the night. Asking Jesus, what does it mean to be born again? And now like Joseph, Nicodemus steps into the light and identifies himself as a follower of Jesus, willing to serve and to fulfill, ultimately, this passage in Isaiah 53. You see, there comes a time for each of us, like Joseph and Nicodemus, that we must step out of the darkness and we must identify ourselves with Jesus and you. Is it time for you to step out of the darkness and into the light of Christ? This riddle of verse 9 demonstrates an unlikely change of events. You see, how could someone who was so shamed and dishonored in their death find honor and admiration in their burial? Again, Isaiah offers light in verse 9. Because he, because this servant had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Jesus proclaimed from the cross, it is finished. The servant had finished his work. He had borne the sins of the world. He had reconciled sinners to a just and a holy God. And there was no longer any need for his shame, his humiliation, and his dishonor. So in that very moment, God began to work in the silence of that moment to vindicate and to begin to exalt the Son. You see, resurrection was coming. And it would come from the tomb of Joseph, not from a cross of humiliation. Jesus had honored the Father. And from that point on, the Father would honor the Son. So as we reflect on this powerful portion of the suffering servant passage, I want to reflect on this idea of the silence of the Lamb. Jesus, the Lamb of God, chose to be silent before His accusers. He had every right to speak out against them, but instead, He took on their guilt, He took on our guilt, and He suffered and died for them. And when He finally spoke from the cross, He spoke words that brought clarity and understanding, words that changed the world. 
And so for us, have we discovered the power of silence? The power of the presence of God in the quiet moments of life. Yes, there is a time to speak. And oh, we need to be more careful and more purposeful in speaking out against the injustice and the oppression of others. But there is also a time to stand strong and to be silent and to allow God to fight for us. We do not always have to defend ourselves. Sometimes in order to win the war, we must learn to be silent in the battle. For you see, how many of us have won the battle? We've won the argument, but we've lost the war. Because in the process, we have hurt and wounded others. Sometimes, like Jesus, we too must learn to bear the pain the hurt, the vindictiveness of others. Listen to the psalmist who in Psalm 46.10 said, Be still and know that I am God. This word be still fits exactly what we're talking about today. Back to Exodus. Back to Jesus on the cross. This word be still literally means to cease striving. To cease fighting. To quit fighting and trying to win the battles and conflicts that tirelessly pursue you. To cease striving to be still and to be quiet. And to know that God is God. To let God battle for you. To let God win the fight on your behalf. Humble yourselves. Take on what others throw your way without reflecting it back. Here's what I believe. When Jesus stood before His accusers, He had every right to fight back. Yet in the moment, He chose to be still. He chose to cease fighting and striving. Oh, we know the battles, the epic battles He had with the Pharisees. I mentioned one earlier with the adulterous woman. And the battle and the confrontation He had in that moment. But here, Jesus chose to see striving and fighting. And in that moment, oh, how Jesus must have known the power and the presence of His Father in deep and powerful ways. He stood confidently, assured in His silence because He knew God. He knew His Father. He knew His Father's plans and purposes. And He knew that God would see Him through. The same is true for us. Yes, there's a time to speak, but also a time to be silent. How often do our words get in the way of what we need to say? We don't always have to use words. Let's learn what it means to humble ourselves. To be quiet. To stop striving and fighting. To be confident that God is present with us. And that in the silence we can know Him. And out of the silence, when the time does come to speak, we can speak graciously 
and lovingly, and yes, truthfully, in that moment? Do you know the presence and the power of God in silence? Jesus did. I believe Joseph and Nicodemus did as well. And I believe that each of us can know the presence of God in the silence of our lives. In these moments, I simply want to ask the question, do you know God? And in these next moments, let's be still. Let's be quiet. Let's put our gloves down. Let's cease striving. And let's take just a few moments of quiet to know that God is God. Would you be silent and quiet with me in these moments?